Hello, this is Dr. Patrick Porter, and today we have a very special guest, Henry O'Connell, who's been 20 years in in this field of uh, basically analytics, I guess you'd call it. But I'm going to let him kind of explain a little bit about what he's doing over there at Canary Speech before we begin. So, so Henry, go ahead and and just give us a kind of a prelude about how you got into this, what it's all about, and. This was a field I was just fascinated with when I got to speak with you a few weeks back. So I thought we need to get you on our podcast and radio show and just start spreading the word. Well, it's also my pleasure to uh, be speaking with you, uh, Patrick. Thank you very much. I um, My interest in the field goes back a number of years. Um, several years ago, 25, 26 years ago, I was working at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And I... Uh, bumped into uh, what has become a lifelong friendship with a gentleman named Jeff Adams. And Jeff was working as a decoder in another branch of the government at the time. He's a mathematician. But Jeff and I, over the next 20 plus years, pursued different careers in technology. And um, I was in analytics, analytical chemistry, uh, a variety of technology companies connected with the healthcare system uh, and chemical analysis and, and medical, medical devices serving hospitals and clinics and things like that. Um, Jeff pursued a career in speech and language. My training at the NIH was in a neurological group. Uh, Jeff's training uh, in the government was in uh, math, high-end mathematics and he worked with a gentleman named Kurzweil for a number of years in the um, early stages of speech and language. A few years ago, Jeff and I got together. And in talking about what we, what our life's experiences have been, I asked him the question, what would you do, Jeff, with speech and language if you could? Um, what new area would you branch into? And how do you think we could make a real impact? And he suggested that we apply speech and language, and particularly speech and language analysis called classification uh, to human conditions. So things such as, as analyzing for concussion or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and, um, and do it in a way that we believed hadn't yet been done, which is to identify biomarkers in the speech which correlate in a repeated way, reproducible way, to a particular condition. Such, let's take it for an example, let's take Alzheimer's. We've done a lot of work in this area, and what we have found is there are, are markers in an individual's speech which can be identified out of a haystack of information that correlate very, very closely with whether or not a person has Alzheimer's disease or whether they don't. They may have normal cognitive function for their age. What we have done is built language models that identify with 96% or higher accuracy in a matter of a few sentences, whether or not an individual has Alzheimer's. Out of a group of people we have never seen before. So if we could apply that to diseases such as Parkinson's or 
In cancer patients, for instance, one of the major concerns cancer patients have is that their cognitive function, their memory is declining. We could in fact help apply this technology there so that the individual's progress through their cancer could be monitored and maybe even treated more effectively. We've also applied this same technology to the area of concussion so that we could more effectively identify concussion or concussed individuals and then follow them through a process of recovery and return to play, if you will. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I know that's a big, both of those are big areas with the brain tap uh, system because people are wanting brain fitness. Everybody's getting uh, better looking and more intelligent with age. So we want to keep our memories. We don't want to have that decline that we always read about or learn about. So when I learned about this, I, one of the things that fascinated me was you were able to do this very economically. So give me your, I mean, most people, if they had this kind of technology would be, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that you could almost name your own price because with, with groups like the NFL and others that are looking for solutions, for sideline solutions, you could actually take this down to the elementary, junior high, high school level and use it in schools. So can you tell us a little bit of the experience with Canary Speech in, in schools around the country? Because that's a very interesting to me and also I think to my doctors. Well, thank you. I, and, and yes, it is true. We, what we are seeking to do is to provide um, a, a test that can be effectively administered on the sidelines using a smart device like an iPad or a smartphone. Um, in fact, a Canary Concussion Assessment Tool is available in the Apple App Store. And you can go there and download it. And when you download it, you, you can request to have the credentials to sign on. Um, in, in high schools, we have a companion product which runs on the website, which helps them organize all of them. So they organize it by their team, their coaching staff, their, their trainers, um, individuals that need to be tested can be tested on an iPad or on an iPhone. The information is automatically downloaded through secure credentials to a HIPAA data site and then stored for management purposes on the website. Um, we believe that the more data one is able to collect, the better you're, you're, you are. Uh, so we don't limit, we offer an annual subscription. Uh, the subscription for high schools is often uh, below $20 per student covers all sports, covers the athlete uh, for the entire year, and can be used uh, without limit for both baseline as well as doing uh, concussed uh, assessments. Uh, we create a master profile for the athlete. So if the athlete in high school goes from football to the wrestling team or from basketball to uh, tennis or whatever sports they're in, um, the um, the concussion assessment tool follows that, and it does that throughout the year. So we don't we believe collect the data you feel you need to collect. Having that data is always going to be better. Within our assessment tool, we we offer a range of data types. So you're completing a, a standard questionnaire, generally used uh, for concussion assessment, an approved tool. But we also capture the individual's audio. So 
when an individual takes the test as a baseline, their audio is captured. When they take a test on the sideline, if there's a suspected uh, concussion, um, the the team can can call up the test that was done as a baseline right on the sideline on their iPad, and they can look at the test uh, and compare them side by side. Remotely, a doctor, uh, a team physician could log on to the website and actually review that and listen to the athlete. So in in a recovery period, they have a much richer range of information. We capture uh, the text of the interview with the athlete also. So the assessment contains a richer range of information than is generally collected now. And then we provide that information in an unlimited way to, uh, to the athlete, to the school, to the family. We just feel it's much better collect all the information you feel you need without limit. That's great. Well, I know that sports are big, but I think even bigger is the Alzheimer's uh, situation we have now and what's happening and people are going, what am I going to do? Um, whether they're worrying about it for themselves or their loved ones are going to have to take care of them. So tell me a little bit, walk me through why you developed that and, and how it's being used out there in the world right now, because I know that's already out there being used and people are benefiting from it. Well, currently, um, we have, we've been involved with Alzheimer's for a longer period of time. Um, I think it's a disease um, that is so dramatic for so many Americans. Um, it's estimated by the Alzheimer's Association that, unknown, we, we have well over 6 million individuals identified, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. There are more uh, who have Alzheimer's or other related cognitive uh, illnesses. Um, beyond age-related cognitive decline. And when you consider the care group, the care group is three times that size. So this is impacting on well over 20 million Americans. Uh, a very, if, a very uh, heart-wrenching story, which you hear regularly when you ask an Alzheimer's family, how did you know? How did you know in this case, let's say, how did you know that dad had Alzheimer's and a common story is well dad was at the grocery store last Tuesday or you know a month ago and we got a call from a stranger from his phone and dad couldn't remember how to get home the impact on that family the impact on that family is so traumatic you know, for dad, his life has changed forever. And the diagnosis of Alzheimer's currently in America is without exaggerating, not much better than 60% accurate. And it's, we have a wonderful group of physicians. We don't, they're the best in the world, but the accuracy of, of diagnosing whether or not an individual has Alzheimer's uh, looked at by prominent institutions like uh, John Hopkins indicate that our, our success rate in accurately identifying it early is really very, very poor. Um, what we wanted to do was to make an impact on that in two broad areas, and the story demonstrates both. Currently, our models for identifying Alzheimer's are measured in the mid to higher 90s in accuracy. We are currently working with some 
Alzheimer's clinics in which we are um, adjusting our models to function within the clinic environment. That would provide approximately a three minute test to provide information, an assessment of a client coming in to provide information to the medical staff uh, concerning uh, cognitive decline in Alzheimer's. Um, in doing that, then that'll help guide the staff at, through their process of evaluating them. Uh, an evaluation for Alzheimer's can take four to six hours in a clinic. Our tests can take three minutes. Um, the cost of doing our tests could be significantly low, but could provide a very high accuracy that can help provide, again, information, data, if you will, to a well-trained medical team and staff. And, and believe me, they are, they're excellent, but it gives them more information. And as we provide them with more information, they can make more accurate, more intelligent decisions on this. The other area that we have been working in is to provide uh, a simple iPhone type of test, a smart device test that would look at where a person's cognitive function is, age corrected. So if you're 65 years old and you take our test, an individual might find that their cognitive function is quite normal as measured by our test. Two weeks later, they can't find their keys. Well, that's been happening to me since I was 16 years old. It's not a measure of my cognitive function. <laughs> it's a measure of my personality. And what I want to be able to do is uh, an individual who has an Alzheimer's patient or, or related type of disease in their home that they're caring for, one of the major concerns they have and the, and the anxiety in their life is, am I next? Am I, is this genetic? Is it, is it uh, nutritional? Is it behavioral? Am I going to also get this disease? Well, I couldn't find my keys on a Wednesday. You take the test. And what you find is that your cognitive function is the same as it's always been, or at least it, since we started measuring it. Mm -hmm. So we do have a companion type of app that allows for that. My, the thought I have, and that would be pennies a month, you know, mm -hmm. to sign up. We have to run it through the cloud. We run it on a HIPAA data site. But the idea is to provide them with an understanding that you don't need to worry about that right now, you know. Uh, you're no different than you have been a month ago or two months ago. Now, the contributing factors for a person who's normal, non-disease state individual, are they getting enough sleep? Are they getting exercise? Um, are they managing the stress and, and anxiousness in their lives? You know, if they can get those things under control and they can manage those and they can get a good night's sleep on, uh, repetitively, you know, those things can help us keep our mind healthy. Um, if you ex if you ex if you have an individual that experiences long-term stress and poor sleep for weeks and months at a time, their cognitive functions will decline. They just can't think as clearly. So this can help them hopefully reduce some of the stress in their lives and be aware that they need to get a good night's sleep and so on and so forth. Okay. Right. When a when you, we start getting this out here to not only the medical community, but out to the general public at large, where do you see this kind of technology spreading from the concussion and Alzheimer's area? Where do you think uh, this is gonna to grow to? Well, 
We're working diligently right now to explore other areas, things I've mentioned, many of them, uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, stress, anxiety, depression. Um, these types of things, if we manage those things in our individual lives, if we're managing stress and we're managing uh, anxiety and we're getting the sleep we need, if we're managing those things in our lives, we're gonna have healthier, higher quality lives. And so if, if those, if measurements for self um, management are available, it, you know, things that we measure, we pay attention to things that we can't measure, we tend to not pay attention to. So we want to provide some tools to help people measure things in their lives that are founded in science and founded in technology. And so we could see those types of tools, the preliminary elements of them are available now. We're we're uh, perfecting some of those and we're testing them. In the area of uh, Alzheimer's, my hope in the short term over this next few months and year, this year, 2018, is we will have tools available for clinics that would provide them with an assessment, a screening. So an individual who comes in could actually be screened for cognitive uh, decline and certain areas uh, and guidance is provided to the medical staff. So it helps, it helps enrich the experience for the patient in the clinic. With respect to concussion, can, we're currently working on perfecting the model that would provide us with the ability in a three minute test or less to say that this individual has a concussed assessment. So rather than doing a five to 15 minute questionnaire and test, you could do an assessment that's one and a half minutes long. Um, and it's based on data. I spoke earlier about the biomarkers. We've identified 2,550 plus unique markers in speech. Imagine that our language is very, very rich in data and that that if if you imagine that that's the haystack so we've got this haystack and what we're trying to pull out of that is the five or six or seven markers out of that haystack that correlate very well with concussion or with alzheimer's or with parkinson's what we've been able to do is to identify the and create tools that pull those markers out so instead of looking at the haystack i'm now looking at a half a dozen markers that correlate well with that particular uh, bio function or, or human condition. So that's our hope is we'll begin rolling these out during 2018. We're already, uh, we have a concussion product out as you were aware. Um, the, the work on Alzheimer's is ahead of that, but we're validating some things in at the clinic level right now. Okay. Well, great. Well, how can somebody, we're, we're not quite done yet, but I want to let the listener know, listeners know that there is a way they can find out more about this, right? Canaryspeech.com. Is there any other source of information they can go research on their own after uh, hearing this, the show? They can. There are a few press releases and papers out. Um, they can always contact me directly. I'm at Henry at Canaryspeech.com. So it's just H-E-N-R-Y at canaryspeech.com. 
and I'm very happy to respond to emails and things that I get. And I can direct them to information that isn't public at the moment for a variety of reasons, intellectual property reasons. I know that you have you have patents on the product and a lot of things going on. So you can't tell us everything about it, but um, I'm, I'm very excited about this technology. But let's say that we we could send you back in time, Henry, with everything that you know today and you could start from scratch. What do you wish you knew way back then that you know now? How far back? As far back as you want to go. <laughs> you know, we, um, when, I, when I was first, I, I knew about speech and language. Speech and language has been around for 20 years and we use it for a variety of very clever and ways. I mean, just in medical dictation, for instance, taking the notes of a doctor and transcribing them automatically. We can do that today at better than 90% effectiveness, efficiency, and accuracy um, above that. And and Siri is a wonderful product. You know, we talk to our phone and it, it creates a text for us. Those are all wonderful technology advances for us. One of the things that, and when I'm talking even with a scientific group, we sometimes fail, I think, to recognize how rich a source of data and information our speech really truly is. And I have been able, in some of our studies with, with some very, very bright scientists, to demonstrate that I think our speech is probably our second richest source of data available or or that which is created by the human body next to the DNA. And what we have found is early phases of doing analysis of speech have taken speech, created a text from them, and then done an analysis on the words that individuals use to imply to infer or to imply what a person is feeling or thinking. Are they anxious based on these words? What we have found is that well below the word level, there are markers in our speech that are connected to our nervous system and our brain in such a manner that we can actually, if we identify those markers, specifically indicate for things like stress or for anxiety or Alzheimer's. Um, one of the things I like to tell people is, as you and I are talking, um, if we were speaking on the phone and I knew you well, you were my my son, or uh, uh, I have a daughter. I have three. I have three daughters. I can talk to my daughter on the phone. I can say, "Honey, what's up?" And I'm sure you have had this experience. There's something going on. I can tell that you're a little bit anxious. We as human beings, our brain is so capable that it selectively can find conditions, human emotions in what people are saying. And in fact, we create human emotions when we're talking. Um, it's, it's part of our speech. And those human emotions, if we could model them using AI, if we can relate to conditions like Alzheimer's or others that in, in fact impact on our brain, um, 
A cancer patient going through cancer treatment often complains that they just can't remember the things they used to be able to remember. Understanding that with greater clarity could help guide the drugs that are being administered for cancer treatment. We could elevate how we're treating patients with this additional information. So when I go back in time and I think about the things I've done in my life, um, meeting my friend Jeff Adams, him having the kind of experiences he had in his life and I having the experiences that I have had in my life, if, if I could, I would have started doing this 10 years earlier. But the truth is the technology wasn't quite there yet. Uh, we have advancements in, in speech and language technology that are allowing us to apply artificial intelligence in a much more effective way today than we could have a decade ago. So I think we can make impacts that will establish or create improvements in human life. And if we can accomplish that, I mean, all of us want to do that. That's great. Well, what do you think the greatest challenges that you face getting uh, canary speech out to the world? Um, technically, you could answer that in a variety of ways, but from a technology standpoint, some of the greatest um, barriers are are really applying the technology to the the available data sets and and using the tools that we've developed to be able to analyze them and, and create the models that then can independently, independent of prior experience, they can recognize human condition. So getting, getting enough data, we've spent the last couple of years uh, either creating our own data sets or partnering and, uh, and using existing data sets. Um, the good thing is that the speech and language sets that we use, if we're analyzing for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, they're not discussions about the disease the individual has. They're just conversational speech like you and I are having. Because these are below, these are, we're measuring things below the word level. And then the other challenge, the other challenge like any place is, um, it's just the time it takes to do this kind of analysis and to create this, to um, establish the scientific basis uh, for what you're doing. And, and that takes a while. Um, assembling the team of scientists and people that are necessary to do this kind of work is no small task. And I think we're, we're fortunate that we have just a great scientific team. Um, and, and they're a team, they're just a wonderful group of people, you know, to work with. So we're excited about what we're doing. Uh, we have no problem at all keeping up that excitement. Um, uh, we hired a new employee uh, just a couple of days ago, a programmer. And during the conversation I was having with him uh, prior to our hiring him, he said to me, I know this is strange, but just thinking about what we're discussing and the potential of what we can do, just honestly, I, I tingle, he said to me. And I thought, well, in an interview, that's probably a strange thing to say maybe, <laughs> but the truth is I've thought that way myself. 
And I've been in meetings with people where they've said to me, after we've described what we're doing, they have said, I'm sorry, are you telling me that you could actually identify in a person's speech that they're tired or that they have Alzheimer's? And I said, yes. And they just go, wow. And so I'm hoping that through this next year, we're able to validate another three or four different disease models and that we can bring those to clinics that can use them in a way that enriches their opportunity to help their patients. That's great. So with all your experience, I mean, 20 plus years in this arena, off and on doing different things with data and, and pulling it all together, what's the best advice that uh, that you've received that might work well to for one of our listeners to hear or maybe a few of them? What do you feel is the best advice? Well, sometimes you lie down at night, you know, when you're finally done with your day and and you wonder, uh, can I get this all done? And uh, my experience has been in the last 20 years that the more substantial the task, um, the more daunting it seems, the more important it is to take that one step at a time. And you just keep taking that step. Um, finding the right data set, creating the models, testing those models, finding a partner that um, is as excited about it as you are. Um, getting the right team together. Each and every one of them seems daunting when you look at that whole group of things to get done but individually every single one of them is accomplishable and so i remind myself on a regular basis we're just doing one thing at a time we're aligning all those up and together as a team what we're accomplishing is is far more than we thought we could that's great well i know you shared a lot with with us today but is there anything that you'd like to share that i've missed a question about or that you thought hey everyone um in the world needs to know about this and canary speech that uh this is your time to kind of tell us what we might have forgot to ask um i can't think of anything i do appreciate that <laughs> but it's exciting work and our goal is is to use what is currently very exciting technology and to apply it in a way that impacts on improving human life you know, with with our with the brain tap system that we have, we're we're actually always looking for ways to validate work that we're doing. So when uh, Jonette introduced me to you, I'm like, wow, this is something you know you you pray for and you ask for. Right now, we have a tool that it doesn't quite do everything that yours doing. It can't tell us if they have a concussion, can't tell us if they have Alzheimer's, uh, but it can tell us their brain function and nervous system function, but it's, it's outside of the realm of a user. I mean, uh, it's between 6,000 and $10,000. So, you know, not a lot of people are going to run out to the store and buy that one. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I have to commend you that you've come up with a, a solution that obviously we're going to leverage, uh, help you leverage across the world because it's something that if they have a smartphone, that's what I, that's what most people I don't think get you, you can, your smartphone's becoming your medical aid or uh, part of your diagnostic tool set. And you found a way to leverage that technology. So in, in doing that, I have to commend you. So again, just tell our listeners how they can find out more about Canary Speech and, um, 
you know, uh, and then how, is there a, a newsletter they can subscribe to to find out these breakthroughs and news news that's coming out about it? You know, the best, honestly, the best, probably most effective way is drop me an email at henry at canaryspeech.com. We'll include them in our newsletter. Um, the website, by a council of our lawyers, we try to keep our website fairly minimal. And, um, but um, we really enjoy talking about what we're doing. And I'm very happy to include an individual um, either in a demo of our products or in a newsletter um, that comes out periodically. I know a few of the doctors we've sent to you are very happy. They've called me up and said, hey, thank you for introducing me to Canary Speech. And we're going to continue to do that because I think we need to be able to document, you know, not just have uh, treatment plans without knowing what we're doing or how we're doing it. So I hope to be there with you as you develop these other technologies that go along with it. So again, thanks for being our guest today. And I'm sure we're going to have you back as you get other breakthroughs so we can share them with our listeners. So thanks again, Henry, for being on the, on the show. It really has been my pleasure. Thank you.